0: Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be speaking out of the book of Acts. Good to see everybody here this morning. Welcome to our visitors this morning. We're excited to have you here. First time you're a visitor, second time you're family. It's hard to believe. feels like March just started, but we're already looking forward to Resurrection Weekend here at the end of March and the beginning of April. Here's the thing. Most of the world is going to call it Easter weekend, okay? And Easter Sunday in particular is one of those days, one of those Sundays where a lot of people will go to church because they think they have to, right? That and Christmas. It's, I better get up and I better go to church. So we're already going to have a lot of people coming who don't regularly attend. This might be an opportunity for you to bring somebody out who maybe never attends church and they think. Hey, it's a good opportunity to go with a friend. There's going to be a lot of other people there, different things going on. We want to see people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And what a better time to do that than when we are placing every bit of emphasis we've got on telling people about what God has done for us through his son Jesus Christ. Now, the other thing I mentioned, the world calls it Easter. And you may too. And guess what? It's okay if you use the word Easter, but I'm a little type A about some things, those of you who know me. And one of those things is Easter really has nothing to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you go back and you do your research on what Easter is all about, if you haven't, you'll probably be shocked to know what, in fact, Easter is all about. And Easter, in its roots, is a pagan holiday. Resurrection is what we are celebrating on that weekend, amen? And so, you know, if we can start to make it a bit of our vernacular here that we say, hey, it's Resurrection Weekend, it's Resurrection Sunday, that even in and of itself may cause people to go, wait, what's that? right and it gives you an opportunity and an open door to share with them about what it is that you're actually celebrating because we are not celebrating the easter bunny and eggs okay that's not what it's about and it's not about spring okay it's not about flowers and all these other things those are wonderful but it's about the newness of life that we have in knowing Jesus Christ because he's been resurrected he defeated death amen all right if you would this morning here turn to acts chapter 27 verse 39 do some quick review there. We are going to finish Acts, Lord willing, this morning. It's been about a year, maybe a little over, that we've been going through the book of Acts. So this is pretty awesome. Here we're going to be bringing this book to a close, and of course we'll continue on where we're going to go. But the next three Sundays we'll spend more in the Gospels as we build up to the resurrection weekend. But will Lord willing here finish the book of Acts this morning? This is so exciting. The book of Acts is just, it is an incredible book. I don't think we realize sometimes that if we didn't have the book of Acts, then we'd go from the gospel of John right into Romans and wonder, how in the world did the gospel get to Rome? How in the world did the church become so established and spread throughout the land? How is it that we are to function as a church? What did the early church look like? How did they live? How did they operate? What was the church like when it was first founded? There's so much that this book gives us in a course over the last several chapters and even still today in chapter 28 we focus on the Apostle Paul especially. What an incredible hero of the faith, an example to us of somebody who lived completely sold out for Jesus Christ. And I pray that over the last several Sundays, there would at least have been one point when you were convicted, deeply convicted, as you perhaps compared your own life to that of the Apostle Paul. Now, just as the lady shared this morning, it's a wonderful thing that we stand in grace because if we do that, we certainly recognize where we would fall short of living our lives in that way, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive to. Paul was constantly encouraging people to be as he was, to live in the way that he was living in constant pursuit of our Lord and Savior. And we'll continue to see that here today as he gives his life over to the gospel. And so, as we turn back to the Word, if you would agree with me in prayer this morning, Father, we pause this morning and we give you thanks for this day that you've given us, Lord, the time we've had together already to worship together, to praise you, to fellowship. And I pray that it would continue throughout this morning, that it would be something here today, Lord, that it would encourage us, it would strengthen us, that, Father, through your Spirit, we would learn of your Word this morning, that we would take what you desire for us here today and apply it to our lives, that we would leave here different, Lord, changed, more in love with you, Perhaps, Lord, even having a greater understanding of maybe what you want from us, Lord, individually and corporately. But Father, do a work here today, we pray. Move in our hearts, Lord, and and change us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So here at the end of chapter 27, we've got the Apostle Paul, uh, his companions Luke and Aristarchus. Luke, Dr. Luke, who is the writer of the book of Acts. He's the one that recorded everything and a good friend of Paul. And they're with him. And there's 273 others that are with these three men, prisoners, soldiers, sailors. They're all on board this ship that had been tossed about in a raging storm for two weeks. Two weeks they'd been out there. Luke at one point recorded that in the middle of the day, they couldn't see the sun. At night, they couldn't see the moon or the stars. I mean, he gave us such description of the conditions that they were in. And when all hope had been given up for their survival, an angel had appeared to Paul in the night, and told them that they would not be lost, that they would survive, that the ship would be destroyed. And so though it was an encouragement to some to hear Paul say, have confidence that we're all going to survive, there was still great concern on each of their parts, no doubt, as they pondered the loss of the entire ship and how exactly this whole thing was going to unfold. So the promise, it may have been a difficult one to believe, but nevertheless, they took heart. They believed Paul And they followed His command. And so they cut the lines to the lifeboat. They threw their supplies overboard to lighten the ship. And now here at the end of chapter 27, they begin to to see land, and they make ready to run the ship ashore. And we read in verse 39, "...when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach, onto which they planned to run the ship if possible." And in verse 40, and they let go the anchors and left them in the sea, meanwhile loosing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. The centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. And so here their tumultuous time at sea was coming to an end. And we must remember as we consider this that sometimes the Lord uses the storms of this life to bring us to the end of ourselves to that place of absolute surrender where the only thing we can hope and trust in is Him. And that's all they had left. That is all they had left at this point was the promise from God the Father. And some of them didn't even know Him. Some of them hadn't even perhaps professed saving faith in Jesus Christ, but they were holding on to the hope of another believer that was with them. Paul was influential for the prisoners that were traveling with them. Their lives were spared because of Paul. Because of the plan that God had for Paul, because of the fact that Paul needed to be spared, the centurion on board said, you're not going to kill any of these men. I've got to get them safely there because of this guy. He had an influence amongst them. But they were simply holding on to a promise. That was it. There was nothing else that they could look at for hope. There was nothing that they could hold on to any longer. They had thrown it all overboard. And, you know, it's in those storms that oftentimes we keep grasping for some sort of lifeline That simply is attached to this earth and to this world. And so we hold on to those things instead of, like we should, with reckless abandon, cutting the lines to the lifeboat, throwing the things of this world overboard, cutting the anchors as they did, and saying, Lord, I'm trusting entirely in you. And that's what they did. It says they left the anchors in the sea. They let go and they said, okay, here we go. We're going to trust that, Paul, that this thing that you said, that it's going to come to fruition. As Paul had said earlier in the chapter, if you want to be saved, you must stay in the boat. And sometimes life in Christ may seem like the last thing in the world that we want when things aren't going our way. While the world promises pleasure and security, we must remember that it's only temporal. It doesn't last. And we must have the resolve to cut the ties, those things, the anchor, if you will, that is often holding us to this world. Even when we may not see clearly where we're going to go, how it's all going to unfold, how exactly God's going to keep us and bring us through it, we need to trust in His promises. And Paul was a man who was trusting in the promises of God. And so here now they come ashore. The ship had run aground, the front of it was stuck firm, but because of the storm that was still raging on, the waves were hitting against the back, the stern of the boat, and it was beginning to just break this thing up, if you can sort of picture it in your mind, and so now pieces of wood are going out into the water, and the centurion says, "If you can swim, jump, go ashore, if you can't swim, grab one of these boards. We'll help everybody try to get to shore and the word says that they were all saved, they were all spared, and that was the promise that Paul had received, but not a hair on any of their heads, would be touched. And so now in chapter 28, verse 1, it says, Now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome, because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. It's wonderful language that Luke uses there. That means the viper bit him, and it was just stuck on there. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. So, first of all, here, let's consider the scene. Having just been shipwrecked after two weeks at sea, Paul's at work collecting firewood. Okay, so that should be an example in and of itself to us. I'd just lay on the beach for a while, make a lot of sounds, you know. Oh, Paul gets to work. He says, I'm going to collect some firewood now. So that's impressive. And then in the midst of this, and here's what happens. He's out collecting sticks and firewood. And because it was so cold, the snake was likely somewhat hibernating, sort of. You know, down in Miami, when it gets real cold, those lizards, the big ones, will just fall out of the tree. And they're not dead. They're just frozen. So it was like that. Paul picks up a viper, but as he's putting these things in the fire or near the fire, the thing warms up and wham, slatches right on his hand. Okay? So This is incredible here, too, because the word gives us no indication that this was any big deal at all to Paul. I mean, he's just been through all this stuff, and now there's a viper dangling from his hand. And I can only imagine that the natives, as they're watching this thing, because we get no indication that Paul's even upset about this. In fact, I think that Paul's probably just out there working. They're all observing sort of from a distance. They see this viper latch onto the guy's hand. He's probably like, oh, And then he just shakes it off into the fire and just keeps going about his business. Doesn't say a word about the fact that this big old snake just bit him. And you know that every one of us in this room would be telling everybody that we just got bit by a viper because at the very least, it's a great story to tell. And Paul, he just goes about his business, shakes this thing off. This is incredible. And so at first, the natives are thinking that this is karma, if you will, probably in their minds. And they worshipped a goddess by the name of Justice. So they may have been referencing that very thing here that, listen, this guy clearly, he just came out of this shipwreck. Now he's getting bit by a viper like somebody's after him. He did something bad, and one way or the other he's going to die. But then he doesn't. He doesn't react to this. And so all of a sudden then they think, it must be the exact opposite. This guy is a god. This is amazing. And imagine then the open door that this gives Paul to begin to share the gospel to tell them of why neither the storms of the sea or the snakes of the land were able to overcome him. Recall the words of Jesus in Mark 16 as he begins to send the disciples out. And he said to them, "...go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe." In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. What Jesus had effectively said to them is, you guys are going to be invincible because you're going out in my name for my plan and my purpose, and until that purpose is accomplished, you're going to be protected. Paul was a man who knew that. Paul would proclaim to them that, I am not a God, but I know the one true God let me tell you about it. And as he told them of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, no doubt word began to spread throughout the island that they were there. And so the magistrate of Malta, as Luke refers to as the leading citizen here in verse 7, invites them to his home and Paul begins to minister there. And so in verse 7 we read, In that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Now this is incredible here, and Christian, please note this, that they had just recently been, at least from their perspective, nearly lost at sea. Paul could have said, I've been beaten. I've been shipwrecked. I just got bit by a snake. I'm sick and tired of this. I'm done. But then all of a sudden here they find themselves staying at the best house on the island with the magistrate there, taking care of them for three days. This would have been like a resort. He was the leading citizen of the island. This was the guy who was in charge. And now here Paul has this open door for ministry. Do you get this? That this is how God works? This is the Christian life that we're seeing here unfold. That there are periods of such extreme in our life in Christ, but God is working through it all. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and following. He said, "...in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure." in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. Who can say that? In deaths often. I mean, Paul was a guy who many people think he did die, and some just think maybe he was just at the edge of death, that people thought him dead. But I mean, this guy had been through a lot. He said, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water in perils of robbers and perils of my own countrymen and perils of the gentiles and perils in the city and perils in the wilderness and perils in the sea and perils among false brethren in weariness and toil and sleeknesses often in hunger and thirst and fastings often in cold and nakedness paul describes the awful conditions that he had often been subjected to and following that what he says is essentially none of these things matter because what i care about is the church i care about my brethren Paul was an incredible man. As he would eventually arrive to Rome here in this chapter and be living under house arrest, Paul would pen several letters. One that he would write to the Philippian church. We can read in chapter 4 of that letter in verse 11, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, so often we want to use that particular verse there, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that is absolutely a promise that believers in Jesus Christ can lay hold of and say, yes, I know the Holy Spirit inspired him to speak those words. And it's not to suggest that we don't go through things. And certainly when we do and we come through it, we learn a little bit more about what it means to say, yes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? But we've got to remember that it's through those things that we learn that. Right? But yet when we go into those times, when we're in that storm, we sort of forget Philippians 4.13. We sort of forget sometimes that we need to be proclaiming, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And instead we're sitting in those situations, we're in that storm, we're saying, why God? Why am I in this situation? Why is this going on? This isn't fair. This isn't right. You know, and we need to surrender that to the Lord where we're in that point and begin to look and to say, wow, Lord, I'm excited to see what you're going to do here. I'm excited to see how this is all going to turn out. Lord, I know you're with me. I know you're leading me. You're guiding me. I know you're equipping me. Even though I may feel weak right now, I know you're strengthening me. And I am just excited, Lord, to just see how you're going to work and you're going to move. And trust me, I know that's hard. It is so hard for us to have that attitude when we're in the midst of the storm, but we must because when we look at the word of God, which is what we should be going to for our source of strength, it's what we should be going to for that wisdom, for that advice. We see the examples of those who went before us, who in the midst of the storm said, I can be content in this. I can be content. I can do this, Lord, because I know you're with me. I know you're working and I know you're going to do something great. We must learn to be more dependent on the Lord, to trust Him in all things, to be content where He has us. We are such a discontented people so often. And I speak from experience on that. You know, oftentimes in my own life, when I've just before that point where the Lord has sort of opened the door for something that we had been seeking for so long, is when I was finally at a place where I said, Lord, I'm content. It's okay. I'm sorry I've been striving after these things. I'm sorry I've been trying to accomplish this or do this in my own will. To get to a place where you're just resting in him and saying, Lord, I trust you. That's so often then where I've seen him open the door and say, okay, now we're going to move on to this next thing. And that's sanctification. That's him working in our lives, teaching us, growing us. Because here they were, they were nearly lost at sea, and now he's ministering to the magistrate, to the leading man on that island. And so they spent time there, and it's important to note because at this time, all the people on the island started coming to them and saying, wow, we need healing too. Now, I believe that absolutely, as the Word says here, that Paul laid hands on this man, Publius' father, and he healed him. And just like we've been discussing through our Wednesday night series on the gifts of the Spirit, I believe that all of the gifts of the Spirit are still alive, well, and applicable for today when used according to the Word of God. That the Holy Spirit is still very much alive. That the Spirit is with us, drawing us unto repentance. The Holy Spirit is in us at that time of salvation. And the Holy Spirit is also upon us, equipping us and empowering us as believers to live a life in Christ. That the gifts are still relevant for today. Again, when used in accordance with the Word of God, biblical balance. And so we see Paul here lay hands on him and heal him. But then the second mention of healing that we see as others began to come to them and all were healed... It's actually a different word than the other type of healing. What this word healing means in the original Greek is they sought medical attention. And so we don't know exactly what happened with all those who were healed on the island, but we do know that Luke was a physician, right? And so you never know exactly how this played out and the different ways in which they ministered to them and how some were healed, but they had great influence on that island And then after three months, in verse 11, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers. Those were the sons of Zeus that were the figurehead on the front of the ship. I don't quite know why Luke decided to include that detail there. But this ship had wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, we circled round and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Petoli, where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome, and from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appi Forum and Three Inns. Those were two towns along the Appian Way, the famous road that led into Rome. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself, With the soldier who guarded him. And so here now we're getting a little bit of just the narrative as they make their way towards Rome. They're all on an Alexandrian ship now. We don't know how many of them boarded the ship and made their way there, whether it was the entire group that was originally together or just some of them. Of course, it seems the prisoners were on board. And note here as they go to these different areas that it's referenced that there were brethren there. And so here in this place that Paul was working to go to from a missionary perspective that he had wanted to be that no other apostle, to our knowledge, had been there before and been able to plant churches there, yet the gospel had spread. There was brethren there. There were Christian brothers and sisters that were there in these towns along the way. And it was a great encouragement to Paul. It gave him courage. He was excited as they came to greet him. And then, as it says that they came to Appy Forum in Three Inns, they were outside the city of Rome at this point, in fact, Api Forum was about 43 miles outside of Rome, and Three Inns would have been about 10 miles closer, so about 33 miles. So 30 to 45 miles, give or take, these brethren came from Rome out to greet them as they were arriving. Word had traveled to Rome that Paul was coming, and they were so excited to go and greet him and encourage him that they walked upwards of 43 to 45 miles to go greet him. And so just like we talked about last week in terms of Paul and the way in which he just loved friendship, it says that he took courage when they came to see him. It built him up. And we've got to recognize that that's what happens amongst believers within the church. You know, sometimes we may be in a state where it's sort of like we want to be all alone. And you know, you can do that for a short while. But any longer than that, if you've convinced yourself that that's just the way you like to operate, the enemy's going to get a foothold. We need fellowship. We need to encourage one another. We need to have a sense about just our love for one another that we would go the distance to meet each other, to care for one another, to greet one another. And this would have been a day's journey, by the way. They'd have gotten up early in the morning and they would have walked forty three miles. Think about that. That's pretty incredible. And they didn't have new balance sandals, right? I mean these were this is old school footwear. This shows the love that they had for them, but. They never even met him. And so even more so, it should indicate to us what the idea of Christian fellowship is all about. Now he had written to them, they knew of him, because of Romans. That's what it is. is what he had written to them. But he wouldn't have spent any time with them, yet there was this love that was there. And in verse 17, and it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews. So now he's in Rome now. He had met them out there, they had stayed in Api and three inns, and now they had made their way into the city. And it came to pass after those three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So Paul knew why he was there. Paul knew what he needed to do. He was there for a purpose, and he wanted to talk with the Jews first. That's who he had come to address. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, Notice how he's associating himself with them. Yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who when they have examined me, wanted to let me go, because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and to speak with you, because I am incredibly frustrated about the mistreatment I've received and the fact that I've been wrongfully imprisoned for many years at this point, and let me just tell you how terrible my life has been. Oh, wait, it doesn't say that. He says, because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. What was the hope of Israel? The Messiah. The Messiah. What he declares to them here, after this lengthy journey, and yeah, Paul does a nice way of articulating, here's sort of how I got here, very quickly. But he recognizes that there as he sits with a chain on him, which by the way, that chain had been on him for quite some time now, he says, I'm bound, I'm bound in this chain right here, though I really didn't need to be, though I'm an innocent man, though I had the opportunity probably to get out of this chain, I appealed to Caesar, and why did I do that? Because of you guys, for you guys because I'm bound for the hope of Israel, for the Messiah. He knew that that's what they were all hoping for. That was the common bond that they had, that they were hoping for a Messiah. The problem was that they had in their minds so concretely established that the Messiah was a political thing. That the Messiah was going to come and turn the government upside down and grant them the freedom that they had so long wanted, that they would be able to reign in the way that they had imagined they'd be able to reign as the children of God. That they failed to see Jesus when He was there. That they failed to understand what the Messiah was. But He's saying, this is why I'm here. You know, this Tuesday at the State House, we've mentioned this many times, we've become a church and many of you have been faithful and praying for and going to different things at the state house to just express our support of various things that are happening in the state or to stand against certain things. And that is a good thing for us to do. And you've heard me talk about this before. And this Tuesday, there are three key things that are either in the House or the Senate. There's a dismemberment ban abortion bill, there is the personhood abortion bill, and there's also one that's specific to the sale of hard liquor in Just general stores. So, essentially, creating access to hard liquor throughout the state at stores where you wouldn't normally be able to buy it. So, there's three key things that conservative groups in our state are trying to stand up for or against to say we've got to protect values in this state. And so, there's a call to action right now to get, in particular, Christians to show up at the state house on Tuesday to show their support. But here's what I would say, and it just strikes me as we read this here and as we consider the hope of the Messiah for Israel is that. Our hope is not in the legislators of our state. Our hope is not in the legislation that they will pass, though absolutely we want them to pass it because it's going to further protect religious freedoms, it's going to protect the sanctity of human life. I mean, those are good things that we should absolutely support And I'll be there on Tuesday, and I welcome any of you to join me. And one of the things that we'll do when we go there is we actually go and you submit a form up outside either the House or the Senate, and you request that your senator, your representative, come out and meet with you. And because you're a constituent, most of the time, unless they're in the middle of a vote, they'll come out, and they'll come out and meet with you, and they'll say, whoever, yeah, hey, what, what is it that you want to talk about? Now I can tell you that my senator and my representative, neither of them, are in support of. The bills that I'm in support of, we are not like-minded in that way. Now, when they come out on Tuesday, should they come out, what am I going to do? Am I going to stand there? And am I going to say, You guys are fools? You need to believe this. You need to do this, you need to do this. No, I'm going to do exactly what I did last week. I'm going to say, Can I pray with you? How specifically can I pray for you? Right? To pray for that open door to give them the gospel, to share with them the love that I have for Jesus Christ that they perhaps could surrender their lives to the Lord as well. Because if we get bogged down in politics, if like the Jews, they missed it, right? And many people today are missing it, thinking that's where the solution is. But it's not. The solution is in Jesus Christ. The solution is the true Messiah. And if we're all living for Him, if there's revival, if there was a revival that was happening in this state, then we wouldn't have to worry about any of that stuff. And we wouldn't have to worry about the government doing what they're doing. As you've heard me say before, they're just doing what the church has failed to. In many cases, the issues they're trying to address, the things they're trying to deal with, are the product of a culture that's gone bad. Paul wasn't concerned about advocating for anything other than Jesus Christ. And then they said to him in verse 21, We neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. This may have been a surprise, the fact that, hey, there's been no testimony that's come to us about you nobody's made us aware of your situation. But we desire to hear from you what you think for concerning this sect, Christianity. We know that it is spoken against everywhere. So that's why they wanted to hear more because they said, hey, it seems as if everybody's speaking out against Christianity, so we'd like to hear more about that. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, which is fantastic. So Paul is under house arrest. They come to him to listen to him "...to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets, from morning till evening." They came to where he was under house arrest, and he began to persuade them from their book, right? From the Old Testament, from the law and the prophets, pointing them to Jesus Christ, because the Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a Jesus book. He is in it from cover to cover. Everything from the beginning of time points to Jesus. And some were persuaded, in verse 24, by the things which were spoken. That tells us that some believed, some received it, and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit, Paul says, spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see, and not perceive, for the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute amongst themselves. You see, the hope of Israel was right before their eyes, and they didn't see it. And it's so sad how pride and stubbornness can get in the way of us seeing the very thing that can change our lives. And I'll say here that I imagine there are some here today that this applies to you in some way. That either you have never surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and it's been proclaimed to you here again today, and now you're struggling with the reality of, do I give up control Do I cut the lines on those anchors that have me, sort of this feeling of safety, that somehow I'm in control, that somehow I'm steering the ship? And you're terrified about the idea of just cutting those anchors and letting this thing go? Trusting that what God says in His Word is true? Maybe you're struggling through your life. Maybe you profess to know Jesus Christ, but yet there's not fruit of that. Maybe you're riding the coattails of someone else's salvation, saying the right things and doing the right things. Or maybe you do know Jesus. Maybe you've professed saving faith in Jesus. You know that you know him, but yet you are not giving him any bit of your life. Here at the end of Acts, we see with such detail the way in which the church was established, how the gospel spread. We see biblically what the life of the believer within the context of the broader church should look like. And yet some maybe want to just say, hey, I'm content to just say I believe in Jesus. But you're not going to let the power of the Spirit of the truth of the gospel, actually begin to really change who you are. And then you're increasingly miserable because your flesh is just wrestling with your spirit, knowing the truth, but just not giving up control. I don't know where each of you are at today. The Lord does. But I would challenge you, just as Paul is sitting here, no doubt frustrated before his brethren, don't be the one who stubbornly rejects the word or rejects what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in you. But hear it. Like he said, hey, I'm going to take this message to the Gentiles, and they're going to hear it. We need to hear it, receive it, and surrender to it. The Word says in verse 30, Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. This is incredible. It's amazing to see what God did here, that Paul was now in Rome, and while he was under house arrest, and still in prison another 2 years that he's here in chains that it was really just the perfect shelter for ministry to happen where the gospel went forth unhindered no one forbidding him 2 years people continually just coming to his house you know it's funny because the guards would change out roughly every 4 to 6 hours a new guard would come in i mean that in and of itself gave him a captive audience we'll hear in his letters that he says there were many who were saved Many of the guards who were saved because they were there chained to him. And maybe when they came in, they said, hey, you know, I'm so-and-so, and oh, I'm Paul. What do you want to talk about today? Paul, I've got an idea of what I want to talk about. You know, no doubt there were some guards occasionally that would say, I don't, just, just shut your mouth. I don't want to hear this anymore. And you know what? I bet Paul probably listened in those times. Okay. What else do you want to talk about? You know? But then as people started to get saved, I bet there were some guards that were eager to take detail with Paul. Oh, I'll go, I'll go. And then they probably got there, and Paul was like, why are you here again? You already got saved. Give me that guy you were talking about last week who's just a terrible, you know, just complains all the time. Send me that guy. And I'd take license here, but I can only imagine the fun that Paul was having here as he shared the gospel. Once again, without this book, there'd be so much for us that was missing. It's for us the way in which we can sort of connect the dots from Jesus and his resurrection to then what happened with the rest of the church. But what's just so clear within this word is the importance on the Great Commission of the fact that the church will not continue to spread without believers being faithful to proclaiming Jesus Christ, to seeking to make disciples of Christ. And this is a book that it ends this way. I mean, it doesn't say, well, and then Paul died or, or this ended. It just leaves us with Paul preaching there in the house. And so this is the book that for many of us, it, it doesn't end because we're still a part of this book today. Do you understand that? There's a whole church movement out there called Acts 29, and it's built on the premise of we're the next chapter of Acts. And we are, as believers of Jesus Christ, we get to look at this book and we can say, we are a part of this. It's just a couple thousand years later but we are still a part of this work that is happening. And I think sometimes we miss it because it's just pages in a book. We are part of this. But in order to be used in that way, we've got to be surrendered to Jesus Christ. Amen. As we pray and close, maybe there's someone here today and your heart was stirred in some way. And whether it's a a recommitment to Christ, it's the realization that you're not living sold out for Him. You've still got the lifeboat attached, the anchors out and you're just not believing in the promise that God has for you or maybe it's the reality that you've never even surrendered your life to Jesus Christ if that's you today and the spirit is drawing you don't reject it don't have eyes and ears that are right here listening and seeing but then just failing to to believe it to receive it to act on it do something about it today whether first-time salvation or recommitment, whatever it is, just pray, just cry out to the Lord. Say, say, Father, I'm sorry. Thank you for what you have done for me. Thank you for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you need to receive Him for the first time, just, just do that. Say, Heavenly Father, I receive your promise, I receive the sacrifice of your Son Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, I invite you into my heart. I believe that you died for my sins, that you were resurrected and defeated death, and through you I can have the promise of eternal life. Holy Spirit, dwell in me. Help me, Lord, to follow after you or Maybe you need to tell the Lord today that, I'm, that, that you're sorry and that you just want to live for Him. That, that you're, you're letting go of the, the hold that you have on, on this world or the hold that it has on you. And you're asking for help to just break that. But in either case, we must, we must recognize the challenge here within the Word of God. And it's not for us to say that Paul is just so far beyond us. Yes, he lived an incredible life, but it was a life that was surrendered to Jesus Christ and we too can live such a life. And be used by Him in a mighty and powerful way, not for our glory, but for His. Imagine if we were a complete people, a body that was just so sold out for Him, the work that He could do in us and through us. So as we sing here now, may that be the cry of our hearts, a cry of surrender, just a willingness that follow after Him. Father, we love You and we praise You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this incredible book that teaches us so much about what the church should be, how the church should function. And that's not about a building. It's about Your people. Father, help us in that work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.